You're listening to Secondhand Movies. This is Morgan. And this is Joel. We're best friends, childhood best friends. And today we're here to talk about the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Excellent. All right, we're going to jump into the review in just a second. I just want to mention we do have a Facebook group now. So it's secondhand, one word, movies. So if you search that on Facebook, you can find us. We also, in the show description, have a direct link to there. And so you can go join the group. We post Monday through Saturday anything from movie trivia to polls to, you know, just favorite movies. Also, as always, you can email us if you have any Input on the show, reviews, questions, suggestions. We're always looking for suggestions. Secondhand Movies Podcast, because I left that off the other day. I was typing in for something, and I kept doing secondhandmovies at gmail.com. I was like, where's my email? Incorrect. Incorrect. Secondhand Movies Podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to us on Spotify. um, Apple. Apple Podcasts. Not just podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever you do get your podcasts. Don't forget to also write us a review as well. Yes. Leave us five stars. Leave us one stars. Review is a review. We prefer the five stars. <laughs> we, ho- we hope. We, we hope you give us the five stars. We understand if it's not. <laughs> <laughs> We're still a work in progress, guys. Yes, we will read those, and we do take them to heart. We cry ourselves to sleep every time. Every single time. And a quick note, if it does sound a little bit different today, it's because we are recording in a new space, because I moved. Yeah, Morgan, you moved. So Congratulations, new house. Yeah, we're actually officially homeowners. I've been told this is a very big deal. It doesn't feel like a big deal, does it? Well, it does and doesn't. It, it, It does, actually. Because now when we want to fix something or change something, we're like, we have two simultaneous <laughs> reactions. They're the same words. They're just different reactions. It's, oh, it's our problem. And it's like, oh, it's our problem. Like, we can fix this. We don't have to wait on somebody right. to tell us, no, we're not going to fix that. Right. We can just do it. So, you know, it's pros and cons. Yeah. But it, it is nicer to send a, you know, it's nicer to send money off to pay off a loan for something I own than it is just be like... Have a nice vacation on what I just sent you. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my laundry list. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, if it sounds a little bit different, we're just trying to, to get in the new space and do our best. So let us know if it sounds better, worse. It's a it's a little little uncharted territory for us, I guess. Yes. Um, got to try out. We got some, we have several options of spaces, and so we're, we're, we're going to be testing them out. Yeah. Uh, we did have a correction. Speaking of... Kind of an email, um, more of a text. Sure enough, Ben, my brother, did know the author. What? Shocking. I'm sure actually he owns the book. I'd be astounded if he doesn't. Um, so yes, the Hemingway novel I was trying to think of is not the one we said in the in our review, which we I, I was talking about all all quiet on the Western Front, which is to quote. For, My brother, for, for some ni- German author, he couldn't think of a top of his head. Yes. That was for 1917, the, yes. the review for 1917. Which, if you haven't listened to it, you can go back. 
So the actual correction from our episode on 1917 was we mentioned All Quiet on the Western Front, and I said I thought it was maybe written by Hemingway. Yeah. It's not. It is A Farewell to Arms is written by Hemingway. Anyways, that's what we got wrong. Wait, wait, wait. We got stuff wrong? Well, I mean, to writ more so, I got something wrong. But I did hedge it with oh, maybe. Well, that that that's that makes me feel better. <laughs> now this week's poll, Joel. You want to give us our options? So yeah, our poll for this week is your favorite childhood John Hughes movie. Now childhood, like early, like not not a not like Breakfast not like Club. Teens. Or, yeah, yeah, not teens. Like childhood. Yeah. Your parents um, let you watch this as like a kid at grandma's house. Yeah. Yeah. So we got like Home Alone, Flubber, Beethoven, mm. Dennis the Menace, and yes. Miracle on 34th. Out of those five, what is your favorite? I'm going to weigh in not necessarily as a favorite, but a couple of things that sprung to mind. One, I remember seeing Flubber in the theaters. I know my dad took me to see that one. I remember that. That's interesting. What I remember about Flubber, other than the movie, was that I had to go pee in the middle of it at the theater, which didn't happen a whole lot. And I'm pretty sure it was a scene where the goons break into the lab and they're attacking and whatever his little sidekick robot Weebo. Weebo. Oh, yeah. Yes. Weebo. That's right. Shred doesn't have to yell at me. (laughs) <laughs> that scene I remember we like came back in the middle of it I want to say that was one of the better scenes too I, I thought. know I, I mean I, it was one of the more fun ones you well, get to see a robot kick two guys' butts yeah I mean I don't remember exactly where in that sequence we left I've since seen that sequence so I mean yeah my childhood is complete and then the other one that still got to me is Beethoven because I I don't think I've ever actually seen all of Beethoven. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen a little bit of it. I I don't really even know how much of it I've seen, but I have a good reason because my grandparents bought, I don't remember if it was Beethoven or maybe it's Beethoven too. And my parents were like, eh, it's just, it's not something the kids are going to watch a whole lot. Maybe, Maybe it was the second one and we'd seen the first and didn't love it. I don't remember. So I went to the store and exchanged it for another movie. Guess what we got? What? The Mighty Ducks 2. Okay. You're forgiven. I watched like 20 billion times. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I know that might be sacrilegious to some people to put, like, I just think it's a good hockey movie, honestly. But anyways, I, yeah, I love The Mighty Ducks 2. So, to recap, the options are Home Alone, Flubber, Beethoven, Dennis the Menace, and Miracle on 34th Street. These are all written by John Hughes, not necessarily directed. Actually, I don't think any of these are directed by him. So you can vote on Spotify. We'll have a poll there. You can email us or you can go to our Facebook group and you can let us know. Fight for your favorite written John Hughes movie. And yes, he wrote other things. So if that's your favorite, you know, you can do a writing campaign. We just picked the ones that we felt like were the most kind of young child driven almost influential that too to us 
For sure. Well, let's get into our review of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which was written and directed by John Hughes. And uh, I just stole someone else's plot summary. A popular high school student admired by his peers, but not his principal. Or his sister. Well, there is that. Decides to take a day off from school, which is going to find out it's not his first day off from school, and goes to rather extreme lengths to pull it off, to the chagrin of his principal, who'll do anything to stop him, and he gets into lots of shenanigans and hijinks with his girlfriend and best friend. So, Joel, you'd never seen this. No. Tell me. I have not. What do you think of the recommendation? So it it is a movie that like don't get me wrong it's been on my list for a really long time um you know I've I've seen most of the other Brat Pack uh you know John Hughes movies you know I love Breakfast Club definitely definitely honestly one of my favorites uh especially by John Hughes but this one uh surprised me a little bit I mean, it it still definitely had the John Hughes feel to it, and I, I did like that. Um, but it well, let me let me back up just a tad. Um, I I understand why I never saw it. Uh, ma- mainly, like as a younger teenager, mm-hmm. um, you know, my my parents, I, I love them. I've said this so many times watching these movies. I love them. <laughs> Um, you know, they were very particular about what they wanted us to watch. Same. So, you know, they didn't want us to watch a movie about a kid skipping school. We were both homeschooled. I don't understand what the fear was. Were we going to run away from home? Exactly. I mean, you know, come on. (laughs) Mom, dad, come on. It's not like they had a Ferrari (laughs) in the garage. No, they didn't. Would have been much more tempting. Yeah, probably. You know, we just had the conversion vans. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna ignore that, otherwise we're gonna get really derailed. <laughs> Twenty minutes later, what are they talking about? I have no idea. No, it was. I I actually loved it. It was very humorous. Um, you know, front to start, fourth wall breaks were excellent. Every time we review a movie, I always try and watch it twice. Like that was the the second time I was trying to notice like little things like that. And mm-hmm. he does. He gets frustrated at camera, and he just like immediately he's just like ah, ah and he just looks at the camera, <laughs> and he's just like really, and then he goes back to camera. Yeah, you know, or, or or something along those lines. You know, it's yeah he does that all throughout the movie. So you know it's it's. It's definitely new and unique, especially, you know, for the 80s. So it's like, you know, and even now, like, you know, it, it it's become more popular since, uh, like, Deadpool has come out sure. and everything. But, um, you know, it's it still was, like, super, you know, uncommon. And it's like, you know, it gives the audience, you know, more to, like, kind of feel with the story like he's actually telling us the story or whatnot so uh but yeah i mean i i i liked this movie you know it's definitely fun um mm-hmm. you know I, 
I watched it twice, obviously, but you know, it's definitely one, you know, I'll, I'll watch again. Um, yeah, the, you know, from the get go, you know, the worst performance of my career and they still bought it, <laughs> you know, there's so many things in those early scenes. I love uh, one of the ones that cracks me up all the time is when he's playing his clarinet and he's like, I've never had one lesson. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, there is, there's just all sorts of just little jokes and eye candy. I mean, John Hughes has said that the room was kind of based off of himself in high school, that he had just had all these pop culture icons and musicians around the room. So it's why his room is just kind of wall to wall things. It, it feels very teenagerish. And there's, it's kind of an oddity, you know, like he doesn't have a car, but he does have this super expensive soup synthesizer. So like the thing that he's playing to make his nauseous yeah. noises. The, yeah, the piano or whatnot. Yeah. That's like a $5,000 synthesizer in the eighties. Right. So it's like he could have bought a car. Yeah. That's, that's a funny thing. Yeah. I asked for a car and instead I got a computer. Yeah. It's like, you know, back in the eighties, I, I, I probably would have rather had the computer. <laughs> I mean, he would have been probably a cool kid for having a computer. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, in the in the movie, he hacks the school database. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, so, I don't know exactly how that works. Yeah. I, I don't think they were I networked. Mean, I'm just saying. I mean, he was in war games, so, I mean. <laughs> I feel like that's more just a joke <laughs> than anything. Right. But yeah, his his nine uh, yeah. absences. Yeah. They chose nine because they said that's a funny word. You can't say it without going nasally. You have to say nine. Nine. And yeah, so that's it was, true. It was a funnier number than like eight absences. Yeah. yeah. You always got to think about the humor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, just going going bit by bit, I, I would make the case. To me, the thing that makes the movie really interesting. And not just sort of a fun movie is Cameron's storyline. Because if you're just following Ferris, it's fun, it's entertaining, but he's a pretty static character. He's pretty much the same at the end of the movie as he was before. Oh, yeah. Barring one thing, which is his relationship and dynamic with Cameron. Yeah. And and Cameron himself obviously has the most motivation and change and growth. And I think... That, to me, is really what sets the movie apart, because otherwise it'd be just sort of a, you know, kind of a coming-of-age comedy. Yeah. Which would still be fun. It's very digestible. Yeah. But I don't think we'd be talking about it 30 years later. Right. The The first time I watched it, like, uh, you know, we got to the, the part where, you know, he, he, like, realizes that, you know, the people drove off with it, like, oh, no, like we had, like, there's an extra 150,000, 150 miles on it. Yeah, and know? he knows the exact mileage. It's yeah. Like, it's not 150 miles, it's like 151.3 miles. Yeah, yeah, something like that. You know, and so he goes kind of catatonic, so to speak. And, you know, I was like, okay, this is kind of funny, but, you know, at the same time, like, this is kind of serious. Yeah, it threw me the first time I watched it because it's yeah. such a tone shift yeah it was yeah it was it was like, like a, am i supposed to laugh at him yeah 
or oh, oh F- Ferris isn't really taken this serious. Yeah, like like has he done this before? Yeah, and then uh, you know we get to the the part you know more towards the end. You know he starts kicking the car and everything, and you know he like just has this this big just relief, you know, and just starts you know letting everything loose, so to speak, and it's just like oh. There is something to this movie. You know, it's not just fun in games. Like there is a lesson to be learned here. So I thought I thought that yeah. was great, you know, John Hughes to do. Like it it, it definitely cuz you know even like Breakfast Club, you know. Mm-hmm. The guy still gets the girl at the end, you know, type thing. Yeah. He he has lessons throughout all of his well, most of the movie I haven't seen all of his movies, but well, yeah, I mean, it definitely has character growth. Yeah, what to me it also helps is that it m- makes it feel a little less selfish of Ferris to do some of this because when you first start, you just go, "All right, Ferris is gonna do Ferris. He's gonna do whatever he wants to do," and it feels yeah. kind of selfish in that way. And it's true that there is a level of that because obviously his manipulation is to get what he wants to some level. Yeah. But at the end of the day, when there is that shift with Cameron, you kind of, you realize, I think, on a second viewing, for me, I picked up some breadcrumbs that I think Ferris has a bit of an agenda beyond just getting a car with Cameron. Part of his goal is to have some sort of I think internally he knows Cameron needs something to change. He just doesn't know what that is or how to do it. Yeah. So I think for Cameron, he's like, well, let's just do this day. And I, I know I can get him to go along with it and blah, blah, blah. I don't think Cameron, I don't think he has a plan for Cameron per se. But I think deep down as a friend, he sort of has identified, you know, he says Cameron's going to be lost. Yeah. Essentially, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but he, you know, he's talking about like after this high school year, like they're all going to go their separate ways, but he's going to have the girlfriend, and you know, yeah. he's going to be he, okay. He does, pardon a little bit of the language, but he he does, you know, say that if you could stick a piece of coal up up his butt, it would turn into a diamond. So, um, yeah, you, you know, it's just well, I should say so. <laughs> Part of my French. <laughs> That's about the closest we get to cussing on here. Right? Yeah, his impressions, like, great. <laughs> yeah, that, apparently that was based on some theater director they had worked with together. So, yeah. like, he, he and, um, God, I, I want to call him Ferris Bueller, the actor, Matthew yeah. Broderick. Him and Matt had worked with the same director, apparently, at some point. And so it was a bit of an inside joke with them. And John was like, I just need you to do... A voice, you know. And he's like, okay. Well, I should think so. <laughs> you call me sir. <laughs> and uh, they, but they, they enjoyed it because it was somebody in the theater world that they both knew. Yeah, so that's funny. It was very much it, crowded. It definitely added to it. <laughs> it was great. Well, and it sounds like somebody trying to sound like an adult. Yeah. You know, like, I'm in charge here. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. I'm not from Chicago, so I don't know. Do Chicagoans, Chicagoans, is that right? Chicagoans, Chicagoans. There we go. Talk like that. I I don't. I I don't ever thought 
I never thought. That I mean, did. I don't know. They don't talk necessarily like Matthew Broderick per se. He yeah. he is a New Yorker. Yes, very much so. So, um, I mean, it's it's. I've been to Chicago a couple times. I've got family from St. Louis, as you know. Yeah. Like, no news to you, but St. Louis is definitely not Chicago. I'll say that. Um, it still has a bit of that Midwestern, but it is. It is a big city version. Huh. I don't Interesting. know. Interesting. I'd have to I have to think about it more. It's I don't know. Yeah, they uh what's we and what's crazy is like the age ranges on those actors are very different. Cause Mia who played the girl, she is nineteen. And Matthew's like twenty three, I wanna say. Yeah. And then um I just want to blank on his name, but plays it. Cameron. Cameron, he's like 28. Yeah, he's like five years older. The girl never went on to do more, really. I mean, she did. I mean, she worked. Mia, Sarah, Alan Ruck. That was who I was trying to think of. Yes. Alan Ruck, on the other hand, he. Hey, she was in Legend. We talked about that earlier today. Oh. Um, I mean, she's in Time Cop, and actually, she's in Birds of Prey. Interesting. Obviously, I'm just looking up. So she has she has definitely worked. Yeah, Alan Ruck though he was yeah he's in Twister. Mm-hmm. You know that's a big one. Um, yeah, he was in Speed. I mean, like he he, I don't know. I feel like he's like almost that B actor. You know, he's in a lot of big films, but you know he doesn't he, he's somebody you recognize yes you show he shows up and you're not sure 100 percent. most people can't say their name i know that sounds maybe rude but it's, it's just a fact like they're not a star where you see them and you go oh you know this person from that and like oh yeah it's not right that. right exactly but when they show up and stuff people are like oh i know that like he's in succession and the dropout tv shows and then oh yeah uh, I mean, those are the most recent stuff. But you're right; he's done quite a bit of. Um, yeah, I mean, he yeah he's main, in you know mainstream stuff. Yeah, he's in a ton of stuff. Like, yeah, he is. He's a face that everybody recognizes. But yeah, he just never. He wasn't the guy. He wasn't the Brad Pitt or the. Tom Cruise or I mean, George Clooney, nothing like that. You know, I don't think he would mind me saying this. He doesn't look like any of those three people you just mentioned. Well, I mean, you just mentioned probably like three of the most beautiful men of like the last Ryan three Reynolds. Decades. You know, S- still he's, he's not a. I, I'm just naming all the people that I think are on the sexiest men alive. Oh, right now. okay. So that's it. That's all it is. Oh, okay. I thought maybe you're like trying to like just name other A-list actors. I'm like, you're no. just mentioning sexy, hot <laughs> men, like the Matthew McConaughey's and like exactly. Christian Bale, yeah. Yeah. American Psycho era. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not really mentioning leading men who are, you know, like not unattractive, but maybe a little more normal looking, like handsome, but still normal looking. Like, I don't know, an Al Pacino or, Robert De Niro, like they were handsome guys when they were young, especially. But I mean, they still 
I, I never I don't think the they extra. were Brad Pitt level he, pretty. He was in Spin City. I never watched Spin City a bunch, but I did know he was one of the main co stars on Spin City. Gotcha. Um so that's probably where most people will probably Yeah. Um outside of Ferris Bueller. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So after that he kinda I guess he slowed down a little bit, but Well he also I mean I think he's also done a lot of theater work. And he may may have done other stuff like directing. That is not in IMDb. No. So I don't know. One of the reasons I was excited for you to watch this was just to see the influence of Ferris Bueller on other films going forward. I know it's not necessarily like, I don't feel like it's as direct quoted. You know, it's not like after The Matrix came out where everybody did, did a bullet time scene. Right. The approach of John Hughes films especially what he did with Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller, I feel like set a lot of the template of how to do teen movies and in TV as well. I mean, just coming of age stories. One of the fascinating things for me is that while, again, some of these actors that he cast, mainly Matthew Broderick and Alan Rook, are in their 20s, a lot of them were actually really in high school. So everybody they talk to in the halls are actual freshmen. So when he's talking to the freshmen, they are freshmen. They are 14-year-old boys. They don't look it. See, I think they do. See, I, oh, I, I don't think they do. I think they look a little older. I think that's just because we're watching an 80s movie. I mean, maybe. I think I think it's just the, the style to us feels older. That, I mean, that's possible. But they have that kind of nervous energy. That they, I, I mean, like. they did. They, they definitely threw that that energy off. And the girl that answers the phone is just a random girl they grab. She was just some an extra. They're like, hey, get on this phone call. And they just had Matthew like, do a pretend phone call with her. Yeah. What did, what did he say whenever he handed the, her the phone? I yeah. thought it was funny. Talk, talk to Ferris. He's going to die or something. No. It, I mean, it was something like, are you interested in kidneys? Oh. <laughs> Want to save a kidney? Or Probably, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, I think I think they said that. Um, so in the movie, his sister hates him. Yeah, they were dating, Matthew Roderick. I mean, that doesn't and, surprise uh, me. Oh gosh, the girl from Dirty Dancing. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't want to reduce her. Just Jennifer Grey. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they they were actually dating, and then I think there was like some other pairing off that I just found funny. I listened to the commentary that John Hughes did, and apparently he did not do commentaries. Um, he actually didn't even like that he did the commentary and didn't have it on like the DVD release of the movie. This was for like Laserdisc or something. I just thought that was interesting, but I just listened to a lot of it and... Um, he made an interesting comment about Ferris that I, I wrote down that Ferris Bueller himself is an ideal. He is a performance. Like he was making the comment that he, he liked Matthew being in the theater world because from the theater world, he brought that idea of a projected performance. Yeah. And so it's like Ferris is on, he's performing a role for every person he meets. And so he is performing a role for his parents he knows what his parents want is a little 
child. So he is kind of reverting around them, right? He doesn't act like a senior in high school. He's acting like, I don't know, fourth grader. Yeah. Third grader. Like, he's acting like a child. Yeah. Because that's what they want, right? And that's why he says, you know, my worst performance, they bought it. Uh, he doesn't perform as much with when it's just Cameron or it's just Mia. And I keep calling her Mia because that's her actress name. Sorry. Um, the character's name. Uh, Sloan. I was going to say Sloan. 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 You beat me by one second. <laughs> I think that that's a, an insightful aspect to the whole Ferris thing is that even Ferris kind of knows like he he's doing this yeah it's very self-aware yeah well i mean so so you know we we talked about like how you know there's a a lot of character development in cameron but Mm -hmm. you know at the end you know the last line that ferris says you know other than his little cameo at the end um is you know you you have one life to live don't waste it Mm-hmm. I, I may be right. Parif- life comes parif- at you pretty fast. Yeah. Don't waste it, or yeah, you're you're close. Yeah, but you know that's the whole theme of the movie. You know, mm-hmm. like he's out. Yeah, he's out. He skipped school. Oh my gosh! Like, you know. But at the same time, you know, it's like, dude, I had this great adventure and I learned other things. You know, there's, uh, like that. That was one big thing that I like got out of it and I actually did read a, a few things and that's what they said is the um the quote unquote uh big theme of the movie is like just that there's more learning to do than outside than what's in in school for sure um you know I mean they go to an art museum right know? That like I thought that scene was kind of funny because you know it just goes from Cameron to to the painting, and it mm-hmm. looks looks like there's an angry face on there, and then it goes back to Cameron, and he's got this weird, uh, you know, this weird. He's making this weird face, and 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 it goes back to the painting, and then goes back to Cameron, and he's got this, you know, it gets even weirder and whatnot, and you know, that just keeps zooming in and zooming in, and. It, I thought that was hilarious. I think it's hilarious. I think it's also very much meant to reflect his psyche. I think he is seeing things about his relationship with his parents and uh, the coldness of their home. Yeah. And what he's seeing in the, in the, you know, that's, that's what paintings do. I think especially paintings for me, because you end up just looking at them and you notice little details, and you notice the big picture, and then you notice little details. I think you find certain pictures, paintings, that move you in a specific way because they trigger you into a strain of thought. And I think that's what's happening for, for Cameron. I agree with you, though. It's it's funny, and and yet you also feel like you understand him better. Yeah. Uh, and... Again, I I probably identify more with Cameron than I do with Ferris because I am an overthinker. I'm not a hypochondriac, and I definitely grew up in a much more warm environment. <laughs> I think we both did. Uh, so I don't identify with that part of it, but you know, there's 
there's this, you know, we were talking about him doing the impersonation voice and it's like, why does he do so well with that? If, you know, it's like, he's so confident. Yeah. I was like, because he's not confident about himself. So when he's somebody not himself, he's fine. Yeah. And his, uh, Ferris says it, his best days are whenever he's sick. Well, yeah, that's. That's a whole other ball of wax. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it is, but it's it's it's. I, I, that's where I thought you were kind of rolling to rolling your ball of wax too. <laughs> <laughs> I was more so making the comment that it's like for me sometimes it's easier to be assertive when I'm playing the role that I'm supposed to play. So it's like if I know I'm supposed to be this type of person in this situation, it's very easy. Yeah. Versus, okay, I've just got to be me in this situation. And then I question all lots of things like, oh, did I talk too much? Did I, am I responding too much to this person? Like, do I need to give them less visual cues? Do I need to nod my head more? Do I need to nod my head less? Should I, you know, should I be doing this? Should I not be doing that? Should I tell a joke? Should I not tell a joke? Do I need to, oh, I'm, I'm pulling the conversation too much to me. I need to stop talking and I'll stop talking. And it's super awkward because apparently I was talking and like, Again, I get into trouble in that realm because I'm. I tend to talk because I am trying to figure something out. Yeah. Versus, you know, Cameron's an internalizer, so he just doesn't say anything. But that same sense of lacking sort of an internal security of who you are, I, I, I definitely felt some of that in my life. And so I have learned to get better. One of the things that helped me a lot was actually out of a, a marriage class we did. And they, they talked about that, you know, you can have kind of essentially three validations for a decision or for a feeling or something. What, what others say about you, what God says about you, and what you say about yourself. And as they talked about it, I realized how much I discredited and didn't and relied not on my own how I felt about my own thing I wanted to get other people's opinions I wanted to pray about it I wanted to get God's opinion there's wisdom in those things and I'd always been told that but I hadn't really been trained a whole lot in like trust your gut kid you know like figure out your own sort of intuitive sense of these things I always felt like that was maybe something not to be trusted and so I see that in Ferris, like Ferris is maybe too much that direction sometimes, but I got to admit, when I see people who are able to do that, it I get a little like, ugh, I wish I could be that way because I'm, I, I'm historically not. I think I've gotten better about being that. Like, again, I had to become self-aware that that was a, that was actually a weakness that I didn't do. And so I've I've actually had times where I'm like thinking through something and my first instinct is to call somebody, you know, call you even, and be like, get your opinion on it. And I've actually stopped myself sometimes. I'm just like, all right. If I had no input and I was self-reliant, what would I do? Okay, I would I would do this. I would say this. You know, like I've written out a text or an email instead of having a coworker or having Ashley like read it. I just reread it myself, make sure there's no typos, no, you know, no weird stuff. 
think through it, send. And for me, that's a big deal. That's assertive. So, you know, I have learned that that helps prevent the, you know, kicking of cars out of buildings situations <laughs> that Cameron finds himself into. Yes. I mean, that that was actually one of the things, like, you know, if this, if we're I'm already questioning myself, I'm about to be like, <laughs> hey, if this is too much, Joel, tell me. <laughs> but, I mean, growing up, like, this was a thing that I feel like kind of ebbed and flowed a few times was me being really angry and it was like there for a while I was getting angry and I was like it retreated but it was kind of a but it some of it was y'all knew and we would joke about this sometimes but y'all would definitely say like deep down don't make Morgan mad like truly angry like this is Morgan annoyed like you haven't hit the on switch yeah Morgan is still very much in control of Morgan We'd rather not see out of control Morgan. Yeah. Because we know it exists. It's just buried. Yep. And, you know, the thing is like, so where I was going with that is just that I saw that come out a few times and I didn't like it because one, I didn't like being out of control. And two, you know, I wanted it to be channeled into something effective versus just, I've become to a point where I'm overwhelmed and, and I'm just angry and blah. I'm going to just kind of spew over whoever caused this problem. That's not really mature and that's not helpful. And so what I learned for me was that being assertive in small ways and allowing myself to be my own person and begin to trust my own personhood helped me to actually be more comfortable with myself. And that that diminished greatly the feelings I was having. And so then it wasn't hard to stay out of anger as much, or at least out of control anger, because it wasn't building up constantly and not having an outlet. And I think I think that that's kind of what Cameron shows is, you know, like you said, after this big release, he's okay. And you get the feeling like he's going to be okay long term because now he has an avenue to talk to his parents, specifically his dad, and not just pent up over and over. I mean, a lot of that might be implied. Well, yeah. But, I mean, it doesn't really even say Cameron's fate. No, it, it doesn't, for sure. I, I, I agree. I'm implying. Some of that implication is, I think, borne out from the fact that I think it is there in the subtext, you know, because he, he takes responsibility for it. He says, no, I'm going to deal with this. I'm going to talk to my dad. You know, I'm going to take the heat. Yeah. And so I think it's such a big move. His dad's relationship with him changes completely. The thing is, his dad may hate him after this, but at least his dad won't be indifferent. Uh, I mean... Again, that's implied. <laughs> because but that's the fun part to talk about, the fringe. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, he, he talks about, you know, how his dad, like, uh, er, earlier, you know, he they're talking, uh, whenever Ferris asks Salone about marriage, mm-hmm. you know, he, he makes the comment of, like, why would you want to get married? I mean, look at my parents. They hate each other. 
Yeah. You know, so he has this a skewed version of uh, look of marriage, you know, what marriage actually is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, if I remember right, that's your first kind of clue as to how his home life is. Well, your first clue is how Ferris describes it. I mean, he talks about the home well, being cold and the first time like a mausoleum. It. Yeah, the first time you actually see it. Yeah. Um, you know, he's nervous about going and skipping school or going and hanging out whenever he's sick. And, you know, I, I mean, I think most people would be that way whenever you're actually sick, but, but we've established he feels better when he's sick. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we don't know Cameron's fate, you know, for all we know, you know, his dad may have came home and, you know, beat him. Well, that's an implication. Right. Well, I mean, it's just as big of an implication as to what you just described. So I was um, just saying (laughs) I think he is going to stand up to his dad in some way. Right. I mean, yeah, he may, but can't really hide from this one. No, you, I mean, you can't. I mean, you could say somebody, you know, oh, I was sleeping the entire time. (laughs) I was knocked out on, on all the Dayquil. I don't know if they had Dayquil then, but I don't know. You know, I mean, there, there, there is. There's lots of implications. We don't know. Like that, you know, John. Ferris Day 2. Yeah, right. I mean, suppose, oh, supposedly, I don't know if you knew this. Supposedly they're doing the, it's not an, a sequel, a true sequel, but they're doing like a, a, a runoff of it or something like that. And it's mm. like Jack and Sally's day off or something like that. I don't know. It's supposed to come out like next year or something like that. No, I did not run across that. Um, yeah, I was like, oh, well, that's lame. That's, yeah, I was thinking that sounds hideous. <laughs> yeah, it does. I'm like, oh. But no, uh, I mean, getting back on subject, uh, I do find it interesting that you do have three different personalities throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, between the three kids. I mean, mm-hmm. we haven't even talked about the principal yet. So. You know, no, that's that's a whole nother can of worms. But um, you know, you have Ferris who's, you know, more free spirited and uh then you have Salone who just kind of goes along for the ride and, you know, wants to have fun and just kind of more of a follower, but you know, kinda of gets into stuff. And then obviously we we've talked about Cameron. Cameron's kind of the mm-hmm. uptight one. You know, the one that's going to hold the group back, so to speak. Yeah. Sloane is interesting in that, like I said, she does tend to go along with things, but she's not spineless. No. She's not. She's very self-assured, actually. She's, she seems to be very capable of sort of handling Ferris in a way. You know, she doesn't. She doesn't do a whole lot of it, but she does seem to be able to sort of pull him back if necessary. Yeah. You know, like you get the feeling that she doesn't feel out of control with Ferris because I think deep down she's very confident. that She's like, if I really need to pull him in, I could. Yeah. I'm just having fun, so we're good. Yeah. But, Every, this is all good and fun, so it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Obviously, whenever they run into the dad a couple of times, they're just like, oh. <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> and she helps them with that. Which I thought was interesting because like 
I'm sorry if if my senior in high school is dating somebody like I would know who they were. <laughs> I would recognize them. <laughs> One could hope. Yeah, that right. was the only part I didn't like. I was just kind of like I I don't know that I believe that. I mean, maybe it was a different time back in the 80s. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I agree with you that the dad not having really a clue who Sloan is or what yeah. she looks like, especially when you get the feeling that they've dated a while and are fairly serious for high school. You well, know? if they're talking about marriage, then yeah, I mean, as serious as high school can get. I mean, I, I don't think Ferris was particularly serious. I mean, that's part of what I think Slo- what you see about Sloan being self-assured is that she she kind of understands when he's doing these gambits and these bits. Yeah. She doesn't, I think... You're we, crazy. Right. A lot of <laughs> girls, I think, would sort of have a freak-out moment. What do you mean? You want to get married? Like, today? Like, uh, And she just knows Ferris well enough to sort of go, yeah, right. Like, I know what you're doing, Ferris. Like, haha. let's move on. Yeah. Like she does give him a response, but she she understands how to take it in turn, and so, I, I think more than any other character, she really is that glue that you were talking about. Yeah, because Ferris is just a hundred miles an hour, and Cameron is sitting on the brake. Yeah, and so I think she just provides enough that Cameron gets outnumbered. Enough that or, or he'll f- come. Yeah. Or Ferris if he gets two out. Exactly. If he's going too fast. Yeah. I mean, that that kind of happens in the parade. I mean, they're both kind of going, where is Ferris? He disappeared. You know, they didn't bail on us. Yeah. <laughs> and he just shows up and so it's like, all right. Whatever. I'm sure he's around here. <laughs> oh, he is. Oh, he is. he is. How did you get up there? You just act like you belong. Right. Nobody questions it. Yeah. Um, any last thoughts on Ferris? Oops. Uh, no, I mean, we didn't even talk about the principal, but... Yeah. Which which I thought was more comedic sure. part of it than anything. You know, just this ridiculous principal, which... I'm sorry, even for the 80s, you know, you'd get fired in a heartbeat for doing anything like that. Yeah. I think the most believable part, the two things about him that were believable that I think still do hold up well. One, when he's running down the halls and he stops in front of the doors and he runs and he stops. That was hilarious. I was like, yep. yep." Because that is exactly his persona. Yeah. I'm in control. No, you're not. But I'm going to act like it. And then when he is standing with Sloane and he's bought the whole idea that her grandmother died. And so he's just offering, you know, he's like trying to be helpful. And he just says like the cringiest platitude possible over and over. He's like, he's like a bad funeral director almost. Yeah. And she is just praying to get out of there. Going, just make him stop. Just make him stop. Yeah. And I think I think those are the 
the ones that are very, you know, believable, but still very funny. Originally, there was actually supposed to be another sibling as well. So I, I think that would have been interesting to see. Maybe like a younger brother or sister or something like that? Yeah, I think I think it was supposed to be younger. Because that, that would make more sense, especially for a John Hughes movie. Like, that would just make more sense. Yeah. I think Jeannie, Jeannie, right? The sister? Yeah. I think she just feels a lot of pressure. And and it's doubled down by, she has, she has a lot of pressure because she's the oldest. Yeah. And it's made just ten times worse by the little brother who just gets away with everything, you yeah. know? Which, okay, I'm not sure if you... I, I caught it the second time. I was just like, wait, if if Ferris is supposed to be a senior and Jeannie's her <laughs> older... How are they both still in high school? Yeah, are they twins? <laughs> I don't know. Like He is just, supposed to be younger, right? I mean, they don't ever say... Okay, so maybe she's younger and he's older. Maybe he's the perfect child, the firstborn... Because sometimes that does happen. You get the firstborn who's rarely. Of, I know, but sometimes you get that like firstborn who gets like the golden child ticket. Like they're like, "Oh, this is our perfect child," and then we had you. You know, like it does happen. Yeah, and she's like so over it that she doesn't even try, and so they just think she's she's like this awful child. Not awful. That's that's too strong. But they just think she's in a bad mood all the time, which. She kind of is. She kind of is. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> Until she meets Charlie Sheen. <laughs> that's one of the most left fear, left field cameos I was expecting. <laughs> Out of everybody, I was not expecting him. <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I mean, at the time, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, he had worked with Emilio and. Yeah. I mean, they're in Young Guns around this time, and I mean... His father yeah. probably still had a lot of influence. I mean, I just think Charlie was yeah. making the rounds. Yeah, he hadn't, you know, completely bombed his career yet. Oh, yeah. Well, he... <laughs> I mean, the thing is, he didn't bomb his career until, what, 50? Yeah. I mean, he, he worked a lot. Till two, two and a half men. I mean, well, and that was only after, like, what, eight seasons? I mean, they, Something like they, that. Yeah. they were in yeah. a while. They were in a while. So at least I mean, at least four. Yeah, I mean they they were on for several seasons before, yeah. before he started having a weird episode. Yeah, I mean he he did lots of work. I mean major league and hot yeah. shots and. I mean, I guess you are right. I just uh, I, again, I just wasn't. It's not somebody we it. think of. Yes, yes, I get that. I get that. But he has the right energy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He he. Did great. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Drugs. <laughs> he, what? He, he has the ability to say everything correct, but you kind of hate him for saying it. Right. Because cause you're like, it's it's when you have to accept advice from somebody you don't want to have to accept advice from. You're like, I know you're right, but you shouldn't be the kind of person that's right. You know, it's like, wait... You're the person sitting here at the police station. Why should I listen to you? You're obviously an absolute messed up person. And he's like, no argument for me. <laughs> but I'm still right. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing that does feel a little left field for modern audience. Yeah. Well, speaking of audience, what is 
our next review going to be on? This is your turn. Yes. And uh, we we discussed it, and we're going to do Four Brothers. Four Brothers. About the only things I know is Marky Mark's in it and Tyrese Gibson. Yep. And I believe it's basically about the the quote-unquote four brothers. I don't think they're all related, but they're no. essentially like their mom figure gets so, either attacked or killed, and they come back to town, basically. Yes. So, you know, this is like, I forget exactly where. it's. I think it's another Chicago, hey. Baltimore, something like that. I'm down with Chicago. I like Chicago on screen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it might be, you know, Marky Mark, so it's it's probably going to be New York or something like that, yeah. if I remember right. It's four adoptive brothers, um, you know, the the grandmother of the neighborhood, mm. you know, who took care of all these boys and ended up adopting a few of them, but, you know, she took care of everybody over all along the streets, you know. She knew everybody by name type thing. Yeah. And, um. You know, she ends up getting murdered. And so, you know, these four brothers, you know, after being separated for so long, came back to uh, pay their respects. And then they ended up finding that there was some foul play involved. And so they take matters into their own hands because they know that not all police officers are clean. I feel like that's a bit of a clue. Uh, quite possibly, but, you know, it, it's a movie that I like to go back to. It definitely reminds you that, like, you don't have to be siblings in order to be brothers type thing, you know, or to be sisters, you know. You don't have to be blood to be family necessarily. So I do enjoy that aspect of it, and so that's that's part of the reason I, I kind of, I... I, I Go back and watch it. If if you know Marky Mark's films, you know, it, it's a pretty typical Marky Mark film. I'm somewhat familiar. I mean, I've definitely seen... I, oh. I've seen, I've seen some of it. <sighs> I've seen some Mark Wahlberg movies. Um, yes. Not, not like a huge aficionado, so be kind of curious. So what have you heard about this film? Very little. It's been one I've circled a couple times, though. When you said it, I definitely remember thinking about watching it a few times, and I just never pulled the trigger on it. I'm like, I don't know why. Just one of those you. I never quite started. But it's not one that I hear people talk about. I mean, it's not one that shows up on many lists, doesn't really get talked about. Yeah. By it, film people for me. It didn't do so hot yeah. in like the critic review necessarily. Well, I'm not expecting that. I just mean even like it's not a movie that comes up when people talk to me about movies they like. Yeah. Interesting. I mean um, But a, a lot of people end up being surprised by it. When you have people who know what they're doing and they care and they're passionate about that story and they tell it um better than somebody who's just sort of, eh, you know, it's a gig. It's the next thing I can do. 
And it's a it's a building a stepping stone in my career. You know, you get that vibe. Versus you get the people who turn it into a passion project. They bring all of their resources and energy to it. Yeah. And you go, oh yeah, that that actually was really good. I'd like to see what they do next. Yeah. So exactly. That that's kind of my expectation is nothing real groundbreaking or exceptional story wise or cinematography or even acting, but I do expect some heart. See, and, and that's it. It's it's the heart of the movie. Um, it is. It, it's a it's a movie full of heart. You know, it's about it's about four brothers who come together. Like after being separated for so long, they come together for their mom. You nice. Know? So, so well, cool. that's why I always recommend it. You know, and, and again, you can't go wrong with Marky Mark. So. He's he's not a terrible actor. He's not the best actor, but hey, gotta he, respect the guy. He puts he, in the work. When he pulls off a real, when he gets cast right, he can really pull off uh, something unique. Yes, you can't replace Mark. No. Well, cool. Well, thanks for listening. If you are still with us, we definitely appreciate it. Uh, reminder: if you haven't yet, go write a review, uh, especially on Apple Podcasts. That's the easiest one. And uh, like and subscribe. We're trying to boost those numbers so that we can just, honestly, for us, it's just a big encouragement to keep doing what we're doing. We want to, you know, we want to find a format that is connecting uh, with other film lovers. So if you have any suggestions, again, our email, secondhandmoviespodcast at gmail.com. If you have any recommendations, thoughts, suggestions, uh, anything that really struck you, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And you can also share on the Facebook group. You just join that and you can you can post, you can interact with what we're posting. Um, but yeah, that's the best way to connect with us. Uh, I'm Morgan. I'm Joel. Thanks and for listening. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Wow. Thank, thank, you, well, thank you very much. We're not redoing that. Okay, we don't have to. Do you want to redo it? No. Okay, Four. all right.